Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 104th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, brought to you by me, your host, Mac B, the Wolf. And I will be joined shortly by my co-host and partner in crime, Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States. Just trying to make my way in Europe here and, and doing my best as the weather is starting to change. It's a a lot closer to winter here in North Holland than uh, one would like to think at this time of year. But back home, as I'm recording this, people are getting ready for Thanksgiving, and we're going to do our best to to enjoy a little bit of tradition and maybe a little football on Turkey Day, even though it's not really a big thing here in Amsterdam. And I hope you guys enjoyed last week's show on Blue Oyster Cult with Martin Popoff. Martin's a, a, an incredibly gifted writer and has written over 100 books. And if you go to martinpopoff.com you can order some of those books as the holiday season is coming it's gonna be black friday when a lot of you listen to this so you're looking for gifts for the rocker in your life go to martinpopoff.com and pick some up and hopefully we'll have a store for the ugly american werewolf fans out there where you can buy t-shirts and some other goodies we've been working on it for a while we're trying to get it right we're technologically challenged here at the wolf so we're doing our best trying to improve our sound trying to prove the quality of our show and yes, trying to find more ways to interact with our listeners. And hopefully the uh, the shop will be up and running here soon. If not for Black Friday, then very shortly thereafter. Uh, and you'll be able to find some UA Will, uh, Ugly American Werewolf in London goodies for the rocker in your life. And we appreciate any support you can give us there. It was a fun show with Martin. Uh, kind of a general overlook of Blue Oyster Cult. And this week we wanted to kind of go back to doing our album review thing, just me and Jackson. And there's a couple albums uh, that came out in 1982 that maybe weren't the most classic, but they were important in the catalog of certain artists. And the one we're going to look at this week is It's Hard by The Who, made after the death of Keith Moon, about four years later. It was kind of their song song for a while there. I mean, 1982, they did a tour after It's Hard, and then they broke up. And they basically stayed broken up until they did a reunion tour and did Tommy in 1989, which was a huge deal. You're like, the Who are back. But between that, the Who were basically done. Pete Townsend was a solo artist. Roger Daltrey was a solo artist and a bit of an actor. John Entwistle was living the life of a retired rock star for the most part. There really was no Who from about 83 or so uh, until 89 when they came back. And It's Hard had a couple of hits on there. Athena. And, of course, Eminence Front, which is the big one, which you see in car commercials and movies to this day, had an interesting video of them getting ready for their tour back in the day, which we'll talk about here. But it kind of showed a band that was in transition. Like, we know we're too old to be rock stars because there really weren't any 40-year-old rock stars at that point. There's no such thing. Like, well, we know we have to move on because there's no such thing as a 40-year-old rock star. But is there? And so there's a lot of lament and wondering about do I have to give this up? What do I have to go on to? Why do I have to move on to something else? I've created a nice life for myself. Why does it have to end? So interesting times for The Who, interesting lyrics from Pete Townsend and from John Entwistle. And in listening to the whole thing, I'm actually pretty impressed with this album. It's a lot better than I remember it. Some of it may still be dated or of a time, but some of it has aged pretty well. And I think you'll enjoy listening to our show and the record itself. That quick, we have a little bit of business to take care of. One, we are proud members of the Pantheon network of podcasts, really all music-related podcasts, about 100 different shows with some amazing hosts, some of whom we've had on our show or been on theirs, like Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod or This Day Rocks, like Christy Alexander-Hallberg of Rock is Lit, 
like Jay Scott at the Hook Rocks, and like uh, the Kiss Kings, Tom and Zeus of the number one rated Kiss podcast, Shout It Out Loud cast. And we have to thank our wonderful sponsors, rarevinyl.com. Look, guys, rarevinyl.com has been doing this almost 40 years. They're based in the UK. They have the most extraordinary collection of LPs, and singles, 12-inch and 7-inch singles. But they also have CDs. They also have DVDs, tour programs, things like that. So if you're looking for a hard-to-find item or maybe a first-edition record, go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Use the code PODCAST. P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you can get 10% off not only your first order, but every order you make with them. The holidays are coming up. A lot of you are listening to this on Black Friday. Go to rarevinyl.com, use the code podcast, save yourself 10%, get that special item for the rocker in your life. They ship all over the world. And the UK and the US, which are our two biggest markets, are their two biggest markets. So be sure to check out rarevinyl.com. Now back to the who, yeah. A lot of people thought the Who were done after Keith Moon died, and they decided to soldier on a bit because they're still making money. They still had some music to do. They still had some obligations they had to do. And so they picked up Kenny Jones uh, of The Faces, a very good drummer in his own right, different than Keith Moon, more of a straight-ahead rock drummer. Uh, and it allowed them to make face dances in 1981. And then the record we're reviewing here today, It's Hard, in 1982. Did some touring with them, the big farewell tour of North America in 1982. 83, and then that's it. The Who were done for a while. So listen to our take on it. Keith Moon is dead. Pete Townsend is becoming more of a solo artist. Roger Daltrey is exploring a world without The Who. MTV has come along, and aging rock stars don't look as good as the shiny new rock stars like the Duran Durans and the Michael Jacksons of the world. So The Who are very much a band wondering what their place in the world is, not only as musicians and as artists, but as people, you're not supposed to just fall over and die when you're 37 years old. Maybe you can't be on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine anymore, but you've still got to have a career. You still got to do something every day, don't you? And I think that's what they were struggling with. And it's something that I think we all struggle with at some point in our lives. It's like, what is my purpose? Why am I supposed to be here? Am I just here to make money? Am I just here to make another generation of people and put them into the machine? I don't know. I, I think it's more poignant than ever, and that's why we reviewed it here today on The Ugly American Werewolf in London. It's the Who's It's Hard, right here on The Wolf. It's different when you talk about The Who, when you talk about Pete Townsend, because mm -hmm. he's regarded as the real poet, you know, the, the real person who could really outline what rock and roll was. The snobs who think, and, and, you know, to a degree, we're part of this, that, you know, rock and roll is this true art form. And he's one of the ones who's really taking it to that next level with his rock operas, with being able to discern the plights of people around the world in just a couple of lines, along with some killer riffs. So I, I guess when you talk about Pete Townsend selling out, it's different than, say, you know, some pop band who was obviously always there just to sell out and sell as many records as they could while the hmm. time, while they had the time of the spotlight. So then I wonder why now out of all these years, would you have done it? Is it just because you think it's okay? It's kind of passed by. I mean, like you said, it's 40 years old, so it, it's kind of lived its life. And if it can have a new life as something else and I get paid. Okay. That'll work. Plus I think too, like what you were talking about, maybe with, Eminence Front was a little bit different of a message that he was conveying, and we'll get into that a little bit later. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and let's pull back a little bit here. You know, look, obviously the Who are one of the the greatest rock bands of all time. When I was growing up, they were they were up kind of there with the Beatles and Stones, really. Mm. They were British. They were kind yeah. of in that second wave of of British invasion. It's like after the Beatles and the Stones, before Led Zeppelin, you know, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, all that stuff happened. In the middle, in the kind of mid to late 60s, like the Who and Pink Floyd were not quite on that early wave of Rolling Stones, Beatles. They weren't quite on that latter wave of Zeppelin and all that. They, they were kind of in the middle there, but still very highly regarded. When I was growing up, I kind of saw them as maybe the top three, certainly top five band of all time. I would agree with you, especially in that same sentence with the rest of those bands. You're right. They weren't there with the Beatles and the Stones, but they definitely came a close second. And I wonder if they always kind of, well, Townsend, and, and I think he was probably a little bit younger too. I don't have the dates in front of me, but I wonder if he always kind of had that chip on his shoulder. Like he thought they should be like in the same rarefied air with the Stones and the Beatles. Yeah. And they, you know, as far as America goes, they kind of surpassed the kinks, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that their rock opera, Tommy and Quadrophenia. And then of course, in the middle was Who's Next, which is one of the greatest rock albums ever. Uh, which we did review last year in the lead up to our 50th show. But so they're kind of in that rarefied air and Pete Townsend, especially since he's the one who writes all the songs and all the lyrics for the most part. And Whistle does get a song, maybe two on the albums. And on this one, he got a few and we'll talk mm -hmm. about that. But he's kind of regarded as you know rock God and how to articulate this in a way that transcends boundaries, that makes it more of an art form than just singing about chicks and cars and having big riffs, right? Right. And it's always, it's it's strange too, because I always kind of thought that he was the kind of the tortured soul of this deal because he could write the songs, but he couldn't, he could sing. He's got it. He's got a, he's got a pretty good voice, right? but he doesn't have a Roger Daltrey voice. So it was always kind of like, you know, was it, he was always, he always kind of felt bad about that. He always kind of felt like he was maybe deficient in that, in that era, in that well, um, area. Yeah. But nor does he have Roger Daltrey's looks or stage presence, or mm. bravado. Right. Everything that Robert Plant is, you can kind of go back and say, well, yeah, Roger Daltrey was doing it just a little bit before he was, <laughs> wasn't he? You know? And so and so there's your thing. You've got two choices now. You could do it yourself and not be as successful, or have this other guy do it with you and be extremely successful. But you're standing there next to him like, oh, you know what? Hey, everybody remember, I wrote this song. Okay, we, we got that, Pete. Thank you. Yeah. We, we understand, pal. That's that's okay. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, this is 1982 when It's Hard comes out. It's really mm -hmm. the last Who album. Yes, they've had a couple more. They had Endless Wire after John Antonisle had died in, in the 2000s. They actually had a great album called The Who come out right before COVID. And I loved it. I, I thought it was awesome. Okay. It was the best thing they had done, certainly since It's Hard, maybe since the 70s. Uh, and I was really excited to see them play it live. But of course, when I had tickets to see them do it live, that was right <laughs> after COVID sprung its ugly head. So they postponed it a year. And then when they had to postpone again, they just said, no, they just canceled it. So hopefully they are going to tour again at some point and do these songs. I mean, I do think they're they're doing some dates. I don't know how much of it is around that album, but I felt a little cheated about that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people say that it's hard 
And the previous year's face dances don't even count as who records because Keith Moon wasn't there anymore. Yeah, okay. I mean, you can play that card and you can definitely hear that. I mean, it, it, Kenny is a fantastic drummer, Kenny Jones, but he's not Keith Moon. And uh, you can, uh, I don't know, you can say that, but I think that he definitely contributed, but the, the main songwriting being Townsend and Entwistle Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can you can pick it apart any way you want. I don't think that's true. I think if you've got three of the four, it's still a Who record. I think so too. And and Keith Moon though, his drumming was special and and kind of inimitable. It, not a lot of people mm-hmm. can just play like him. Right. Kenny Jones is a fine drummer. He was in the Absolutely. faces and and kind of a straight ahead rock drummer, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he's he's keeping them out and he's giving them the space. So they can all call off and do their own thing, because goodness knows Entwistle can still do all sorts of sick stuff with the bass there, right? Yeah. And this is his last album as a member of The Who as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, when you look back on it now, it, it's it's interesting now to look at this with face dances and It's Hard because I think they didn't really like either one of these when they came out. I know Daltrey, I was reading, said, well, you know, we should have never released this record. And Townsend wasn't a super huge fan of face dances at the time. And it's got to be rough, too, because I think Face Dances went platinum. This did not go platinum. Right. So now you're thinking, oh, hmm, maybe we are done. Maybe maybe time has passed us by. Well, the fact of the matter is they had not been very prolific in that last 10 years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of did Tommy and Quadrophenia, and in the middle, he was trying to do the Lifehouse thing. It got boiled down into who's next. And those three really kind of set them up for the rest of the 70s and really kind of the rest of their careers, to be honest. Because then, you know, they started doing some greatest hit stuff. You know, they did the Who by Numbers in 75, which was not huge. They did Who Are You. It was big because it had the song Who Are You? And then, you know, Keith Moon died not too long after its release. So then it Mm kind of became, oh, this is the swan song for Keith Moon. But, you know, they did the Tommy movie. Was that in 75 or something like that with Anne Margaret, who I love you still to this day, (laughs) Anne Margaret, you know, and and it had a cool soundtrack. You know, it had Elton John in it and Eric Clapton in it and, you know, all these different folks in it. So then they had to work on the soundtrack for that. Uh, They eventually made the Kids Are All Right movie, which was kind of a documentary but it's a killer soundtrack and a cool movie as well. You know, plus then eventually they made the Quadrophenia movie and then they had to do the soundtrack to that movie. So they were kind of, I won't say they were necessarily resting on their laurels, but they were trading on their past instead of being a new band making new music. Right. Right. And then in 1980, you get Empty Glass. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. Daltrey had done some solo records in the 70s. You know, right. he, he, maybe he wants to sing some other stuff, people's stuff. Keats busy trying to do these rock operas and these movie scores and all that kind of stuff. So right. then Empty Glass. Yeah. The Pete Townsend solo record comes out with the huge sensation. Let my love open the door. Mm-hmm. If you are in a bad mood and that song comes on <laughs> and then you're not in a good mood afterwards, there's something wrong with you. You may not be human. That is an amazing, <laughs> an amazing rock song. And how many movies and TV shows has that been in over the yeah. years? Yeah. There, too many to count, but I know that, yeah, every once in a while you'll hear it in a movie and like you said, it's a great tune, but I don't think it, I don't think it did as well as he wanted it to sales wise. And well, so then, yeah, he doesn't know, have that who banner to help. Right. Right. So yeah. are you thinking like, you know what? Maybe I don't need these guys anymore. I'm going to go do my own thing. I write the songs anyway. So and then it kind of 
I mean, it, I don't think it did horribly, but it didn't do as well as he wanted it to. So then it's like, well, maybe we go and do the who again. And, you know, you come up with face dances and that does all right. And now the apparently on this record, the the record company had a gun to their head saying, "You're we need another one right now. And so now you're in kind of a weird spot. You know, you you have to make a you have to make a record. You know, really want to make a record. Is everybody happy with each other? Who knows? And right. You've lost Keith Moon, so is it even the who anymore? You know, it's it's different now. You have to wrap up all the legal stuff around the loss of Keith Moon. You have to right. go audition and get a drummer if you're going to go out and play shows, which they did. They didn't do huge tours in like 79 or 80, but they did some shows and stuff like that into 81. Yeah, you go ahead. We'll we'll make another. We'll make the Face Dances record. We'll use the Eagles. Bill Simsick as our producer because, you know, he had all this huge success in the 70s. So we'll utilize him. You get You Better You Bet out of it, which, honest right. to God, it's my favorite Who song of all time. It's just, it's catchy. It's upbeat. It's not classic. It's not off Who's Next or Tommy or anything like that. But I absolutely love the song. Which I wonder, too. I understand you didn't like it when it came out, but I mean, you've got to, after a while, you've got to appreciate it if you're Townsend. I mean, come on. People like that record. People love that song. That song's great, man. Yeah, give it a break. You know, and they still do it live because it's awesome. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's a great song. So, all right, so that's 81. So then the record company wants another one. All right, well, we're not going to use Bill Simzik this time. We're going to go back to the well with our buddy, Glenn Johns, who was the man Correct. responsible really for taking all of Pete's craziness that was trying to become Lifehouse and get it into who's next which is honestly yeah. it's one of the best rock records of all time right and he he worked with you know we, we talked about get back he was a big part of the Beatles army of people that they worked with and it was interesting too because somebody I, I was looking at this and I was oh yeah Glenn Jim take a look at him and he something about working with the Beatles, and he's like, yeah, they were. I mean, it was it basically was just another job. I mean, I, I went in there; they were a professional. I did their thing, and then we left. I'm like, wow, you're kind of a stone cold pro of a guy. If you could just walk in there and be involved with that uh, let it be stuff, and just walk out, of like, yeah, you know, another day at the office. What are you going to do? Right. But I mean, definitely an accomplished person who it, it, that makes sense when you want to get back on track if you you know get people around you who have that pedigree you know we talk about like guys like mutt lang and bob rock something like that You're like you right. want a heavy hitter in there to make sure that the ship is headed in the right direction no, no doubt about it you know and, and pete you know so he's given all this praise in the press he's given praise by his peers he's like okay well i can do this on my own look let my love open the door it went to number one on american aor radio maybe not you mm -hmm. know billboard all the way up there like that but still got into the top 10 billboard, you know, I think went to number five, uh, at least the album did. And it's triple platinum after all these years. So, you know, he, he wasn't quite done yet. Right. But, you're, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's go back to the who, let's go back to the mothership. You do face dances and then it comes time to do It's Hard. And I think at this point, everyone knew that the who were about done. I, I think between the loss of Keith Moon, the fact that Pete had the ability to do other things with other people. Roger had been more of an actor. I mean, even mm. though in Tommy, he was just kind of pretended to be blind, deaf, and dumb. You know, he he's acting in that. He was acting in McVicker. He was doing some other stuff. So Roger had other things that he could do. And, he wasn't, and was Pete even saving his best stuff 
for the who. I mean, after Rough Boys and, you know, Little is Enough. And obviously the big one was uh, was Let My Love Open the Door. It's like, is he even bringing us his best stuff anymore? Because that's kind yeah. of what the who is. Pete writes the music, comes up with the ideas for the songs. He sells it to them. And then they all kind of come in and put in their stuff. Maybe Ant Whistle throws in a song here or there, right? So, I mean, are they even getting the best out of Pete anymore? So that's an interesting thing to think about, too. So if you're, you know, if you're Daltrey and Entwistle sitting there and you're going through these ideas, yeah, is that in the back of your head? Like, what else have you got? What else are you not telling me that maybe you've got, you know, in the back seat of the car that you, well, I'll save that for something else. Right, right. And the Who at this point are, are much of a legacy act. I mean, they're putting out soundtracks, the stuff that is older. They're putting out greatest hits albums, you know, like Hooligans. The mm-hmm. year after this is when that classic Who's Greatest Hits with the, the guy with the Union Jack button-down shirt on the yeah. cover that everybody in the suburbs had growing up, you know. Right. You know, that would come out afterwards. So the, the Who kind of know that they're on their last legs. And the thing is, there were no such things as rock stars in their 40s. I mean, they just didn't exist. Elvis had died, you know, five years earlier or whatever. But the Beatles were long since broken up. John Lennon mm. was dead. The Stones were kind of like them. They're like, yeah, we're about to turn 40, but it also might be about the end. It was that 81, 82 period where the, the Who did a big tour of the North America, as did the Stones. And everyone's like, okay, this is it, because there's no yeah. such thing as 40-year-old rock stars. Right. Nobody, nobody who was, you know, listening to MTV or watching MTV at this time wanted to see, you know, these guys, yeah, like you said, they're old. We want new stuff. We want new, we want it to sound new. We want it to look new. We want new people, new faces to, to look at on the TV. And so, yeah, if you're Daltrey and Townsend, I mean, you're rich, right? I mean, like it's not, it's not about the money at this point in time, but it's like, yeah, am I just, do I just need to go away? Do I just need to retire because I'm irrelevant at this point? Or do I need to go do something else? And here's the thing. It's not like they look bad. They're in their late thirties. Mm-hmm. They're still in good shape. You know, you can see in the, in the videos, they're still looking pretty darn good. And whistle looks good. You know, Kenny Jones is, is in great shape. He's just a little bit younger than him. Maybe he's 35 or 34 or something like that, you know? So it's not like they couldn't have done it. And the tour was big, but I also think that the tour that happened in America in late seventies, early eighties, where the people were crushed at Cincinnati, yeah they had those deaths i think that was starting to take a toll on them just like what's happening here this isn't peace love and understanding this mm-hmm. is the real nastiness that pete's been warning about us for years and so i think he was ready to kind of step back like okay i don't need to do this anymore and you know for the most part after this they were done they quit there was no more new who there were no more tours they might show up for a live aid or something like that but until they came back in in 89 to really do Tommy with a star-studded cast and do a, a killer tour that was really big. I remember it was all over MTV. It was a big deal for me. But yeah, they were ready to walk away after it's hard. Right. And if you if you want to touch on that, on that giant stadium tour that they did or giant stadium show, mm-hmm. it was massive would be an understatement in the New York area. I mean, they hyped that thing for like, I want to say two or three months. They mm-hmm. were talking about it. I mean, it was July thir- 2nd and 3rd, 89 at Giant Stadium. They simulcast it on every radio station out of New York. Yeah. It was just, I mean, they were back at that point in time in two nights. Everybody all of a sudden was like, oh yeah, The Who. We love The Who. We love right. Tommy. These guys are great. So they did have that. But they, but you're right. This is like that in between, like we're done. Like, I don't think that they even they even thought to do this at that point in time. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, time to move on now. Time to, you know, retire. 
and then do other things. It's It's got to be difficult. It's got to be difficult because you'd spent so long on top. And right. now it's, you know, again, like I said, it's not that anybody's going to cry for you. You've got the money, you've got the fame, you can do whatever you want now, but it's that it's the relevance now that you're, you've lost. Well, yeah. And, and nobody really expected to be doing this into their forties right? when they started as teenagers in the sixties. Keith Moon's like 15 when he joined the Hoover. It's something crazy. <laughs> like, you know, the Beatles are in their teenagers in, in the right. early sixties when they first get together. They're not thinking, well, I'll do this for 10 years and I'll do something. No, I'll do this for 18 months until my mom grabs me by the ear and says, all right, come on, you're coming back home and getting a job right. or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> they didn't know it was going to become what it was. And the who were one of those people who really, elevated rock and roll to more of an art form mm -hmm. uh, and they found different ways to cash in on it but here they are in the early 80s mtv is out it's the new wave thing and are we looking for aging rock stars well most people weren't so in a way it's hard is really the who's swan song i know endless mm -hmm. wire comes out about a quarter of a century later <laughs> and then you know 15 or so years after that they make the who album which again i i really like i know a lot of people didn't hear it i would encourage you to check it out because i think it's awesome but it's still it's past their prime there's no went whistle there's no keith moon mm -hmm. and and so this is the end this is them taking everything they've learned and and everything that's going around at the time to come in with what is in, in my mind is really their swan song. It's hard. And they kind of knew it too, because the cover is them at an arcade. Like someone's playing like an Atari game, which is kind of the mm -hmm. updated version of pinball wizard. Like who is the right. modern pinball wizard with those kind of like those early eighties computerized graphics, which I think was supposed to make it like new, but right now, I mean, it just, it completely dates. It's like, oh, I know exactly when you release this out, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. With the, you're talking about like the lettering for the right for the yeah exactly yes. And yes. and it, it's it's interesting too because if you look at the album cover, it's the four of them and the kid with his back turned playing the video game, and they they just look out of place. They look uncomfortable, kind of like right. what are we doing here? Like, uh, I don't belong here. I don't video arcade. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, versus face dances where each member had like four different versions of a mm -hmm. drawing or a portrait of them. So that's something kind of artistic there. This is really just like, yep, here we are. Look at us. Aging rock stars still look pretty good, don't we? Yeah. Don't we? <laughs> Do you like us? Open. Yeah. Although it's interesting that Kenny's on the cover. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think that they had the notion, even if they had, even if he was just paid, mm -hmm. right? You still had to present that this is a band. It's so like Ronnie Wood famously didn't become a member, like a, a quote unquote, fully paid full share member of the Stones until Voodoo Lounge, which means mm. he did it for about 20 years. But he was on the cover of every album, just like everybody else for those 20 years. Right. So it, it was a business thing, maybe that Kenny wasn't necessarily a member of the who, but you got to have a drummer and you got to yeah. say, hey, we're a four piece and here's the four of us. Yeah, it's just it's interesting now because that just doesn't happen. Even if you know, you know, if it's if it's the who now, it's just the two of them. They right. will not put anybody else. Everybody else is just a paid musician. So, I, yeah, I think back then they really did think of this like I don't know if they if they knew how much longer they were going to go, but they they figured that for the rest of the time Kenny would just be the drummer. That's right. That's right. And an accomplished drummer, a fine musician mm -hmm. in his own right. No doubt about it. But it's interesting. There's a, I saw a, uh, I don't know what it was. It was a video, I guess, for Eminence Front 
uh-huh. but it was kind of a promo one. So it was a little bit longer and they showed them all showing up to the video shoot and they were all um, by themselves. You know, limo pulls up, Roger gets out, another limo pulls up, Pete gets out. Well, we'll get so into that. We'll get into okay. that because okay. I remember it from back in the day and I've rewatched okay, okay. it several times here. Hi, this is Jeff Downs. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf. Well, let's get into it. You know, let's let's All get right. into the album because it's you know it's twelve songs long, which is a little bit more than usual. Although the record's not that long; it's about forty six minutes. So some of these songs are pretty short. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the same thing too. I was like, well, this is going to be a long haul. Wait a minute, 40 minutes. Okay, so these are just two and change then, some of these. A lot of these are, yeah. yeah. And to me, there's a big difference between side one and side two. Okay. In that, you know, you're really trying to do something with side one. Side two, there's a lot of phoning it in, if you ask me, or the, just, <laughs> the songs just don't don't equal what they should for a Who album. And look, mm. you know, I said they only made from 73 to 81 they really only made a couple of records in there right you know between quadrophenia and was it face dances of course face dances part two ended up on all the best cowboys have chinese eyes on pete's next so um which i think came out the same year as this i think it came out in 1982 yeah the same year as this so i mean so pete you know wasn't just i mean he had his his own big solo album then they did face dances then he did his next solo album and the next two album in 82 so maybe he was starting to burn out yeah and you were talking about the the second side of the album which we'll get into but you know it could be a thing too where you want a record you show up with tracks and they say well that's great but what this isn't a whole album uh okay hold on we got a couple more in the back here we'll just grab those and throw them on yeah yeah you know it's like oh let's just get it all out there right this is this is the who there's not a whole lot left of it so let's get it out there released uh in september of 1982 and the first uh, single was the first song on the album, Athena. Mm-hmm. And we've heard this on the radio over the years. You know, she's just a girl. She's a ball. <laughs> just a girl. She's a ball. Did you know the story behind this before doing research not, for it? Not before the research, no. Me neither. No. I, I Interesting. had no idea. Yeah. Not the, this uh, Athena was not the working title of right. the song. It was. Teresa. Teresa. Named mm-hmm. after the lovely and talented Teresa Russell. Yeah. And so she's an actress. She was a model turned actress. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> and I guess he had met her in early 1980 when he had gone to see Pink Floyd perform The Wall. Okay. And she was either dating or engaged to director Nick Rogue, who, uh, who I guess is British. But Pete had had his first line of cocaine that night apparently <laughs> and then uh, he got wasted which was something he had a habit of doing and he decided he was in love with this girl yes. Teresa, who was not uh, in love with him it's like i think being an actress i'd rather date a director than date an aging rock star so <laughs> so he made the song about her and then roger's like you can't call Teresa, man you're gonna get in too much trouble you know so Never knew that. Never knew that. And it was actually, he came up with that during the face dances sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the song just couldn't get ready. And, and I guess Roger's like, you cannot release it as Teresa. That's not happening. So it didn't get on there. But he reworked enough, changed it to Athena. And first song, first single off the album. So now, it, it, and I was thinking about this because I did not know any of the story until until 
doing research for this record. But now here's the here's the interesting part to me. So if you're Townsend, you have this. It's not even really an affair because nothing <laughs> happened. Situation, yeah. right? And you were pining for her. She kind of you know she rejected you. It was yeah, probably not the easiest thing to go through. You write this song, but to Daltrey, it's just a song. Whatever, who cares? Let's go. Right. Can put it up there. So it's that interesting. You wrote the song, but you don't sing it. So can you, you couldn't put the same kind of emotion into it or Daltrey can't put the same kind of emotion into it because it's just a job for him. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of what you're starting to see. I think it's why the who are starting to split apart, right? Because he needs Roger to sing these things and Mm -hmm. sometimes he's amazing at it. And sometimes he doesn't get it the way he hoped he would. Right. So then Pete gets to sing. Okay. Well, if Pete's singing lead. What does Roger do while Pete's singing? You know, what are you, what are you talking about? We'll talk he, about that later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he totally is okay. Yeah, <laughs> uncomfortable. But but uh, this is a this is a good track because you've got Daltrey's voice. He's the voice of the Who. We know that. Right. But then Townsend comes in with the you know just a girl, just a girl. That's right. a great drop in. Not even a drop in, but on top to come in. Like the two of them working together are very good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Free ride for me. I'm looking at you. Like yeah. that was, that was the song that Pete's like, Ooh, that, now we're, that's a really good song. And it's got both of our voices mm-hmm. in it. So, so that kind of started the whole, we can harmonize a little bit together, but then right. of course, since Pete had this big success with empty glass, he thought he should sing some songs lead. And, and so then that, that ends up with issues also, but they actually played this 10 times on the 1982 tour. Okay. And you hear some horns in there. You know yes. when there's horns on a Who album, that that's Ent Whistle, man. That's the yeah. ox bringing yeah. what he brings, you know? And and there was something, too, I wrote down about how it sounds like he's doing something weird with the bass, like he's popping the strings or something underneath. He's not, I think, I think he does the thing where he, it's almost like flamenco playing, where he's, instead of plucking it forward, he's, he's, like strumming it instead of pulling it backwards, he's strumming it forward. It's a right. it's a really cool effect that he's doing down there, just kind of grooving with this song. And very hard to imitate. It, it yes. You yeah. don't see people who play like John Entwistle. I'll tell you one of my bigger disappointments on the album is I don't hear him as clearly in the mix as I would like on a lot okay. of stuff. Okay. Yeah. I, I would agree with you on that. You really like to hear that. I probably, it was probably like four or five times through the song. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden like, Hey, there's something, wait a minute. There's something going on in the corner there. Let me go check that out. It's not, it's not real pronounced. And that's what he's famous for. That's mm-hmm. the texture he brings to the who. And that's yeah. what I want to hear. And I, I think on this album, I don't know if that's Glenn Johns or that he's just going through the motions, but uh, it's, it's a little disappointing that you don't hear Ox the way you would like to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To Hold on. Okay. It, it was backed. So it had, it was released in the UK and the U S a man is a man was the B side in okay. the UK. It's your turn was the B side in the U S and we're going to get to those. Cause those are on the I two <laughs> of this album. Okay. But number two, it's your turn. This is one of the three John Entwistle pinned songs. And you can hear there's a little bit of, this is very rare on a who record. There's a second guitar player on there and it's not mm-hmm. pete it's andy yep. fairweather low and even though it's adultery sings this but you can tell it's an ed whistle song because the bass is right there at the beginning they've got a little bit of the the synth part which makes it sound a little bit dated but yeah you can tell the bass is just ringing at the beginning okay this is a this is a john ed whistle song 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it, totally true, Jackson. Yeah, and it's like, you don't have to think about it too much. Like, It's nice, too, that they put it on track two because that it's not like all of his stuff is... I think this is the only one that he has on the first side. Uh, no, I'm sorry, he has Dangerous also. But right. it's nice that they put that on there because it kind of it kind of changes the... It, it gives you a change-up right off the bat. True, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, this sounds like someone who's talking... I don't know if he's talking to the young rockers who are coming mm. up or if he's talking to himself, like you used to be that young rocker. <laughs> now you're like a middle-aged man still looking to find that, you mm-hmm. know, um, trying to understand his place in the world of young rockers. I, I mean, honestly, this is every bit lyrically as powerful as, as really anything Pete does on the record. If you ask me, as far as its poignancy and, you know, what it meant to them at that time. Yeah. And I wonder too, how did, you were, we were talking before about Townsend doing other things, Daltrey doing other things. Yeah. Did, does Ant Whistle now think, well, I mean, if there's no more who, now what do I do? Do right. I do I just retire to my country estate? Do I play with another? I don't really have other projects that are burning a hole in my pocket at this point in time. Where Where is my place in all of this? Well, he may not have had projects burning a hole in his pocket, but he had a lifestyle that was burning through money. <laughs> And well, the, okay, so yeah, and in the eighties, I mean, he was ended yeah. up selling some bases and stuff like that to kind of keep the lights on because he never really became a solo artist. He, he mm-hmm. never really sold a bunch of songs to other people. So he and the most of the Who's catalog is all written by Pete. So he's right. not getting any huge royalties. So like he needed that like eighty nine tour. He he needed that mm-hmm. so he could continue to maintain his lifestyle. And it's the lifestyle that ended up killing him because I'm fairly certain what killed him was doing cocaine on tour with the who in the early 2000s yeah yeah you gotta leave that stuff behind at some point yeah are you 60 yes stop doing cocaine (laughs) are you 50 yes stop doing cocaine okay goodness gracious i mean i know you're a rock star and all watch the girls do it you know and just have a brandy or something yeah just come on yeah maybe in a minute ladies Yeah. yeah yeah i'm fine over here but but i like this i mean yeah as far as you know, you're going to be like, okay, Pete's got the best songs, and then it was going to take you on, you know, some interesting turns. But this one, to me, it fits in very well, and and I like it actually. And I, I'm I'm surprised they put it number two on the record, but it's good. Yeah, I'm glad that they did because it it's. I think if you would have put this on the second side, it would have gotten lost. I agree. I agree. And he's yeah. he's already got stuff down there, right? So mm-hmm. so no, this is good. But that molds into Cooks County. Hmm. Now, what do you think about this one? Well, okay. Is this one of those ones where you've you've made a decent living for yourself, right? Right. And, but and you think like again, how do I? Wait a minute. I'm I'm driving past homeless people in my in my Bentley to my country estate. Like, do you, are you starting to feel like? Well, Maybe we need to talk about this. Maybe we need to be more. I mean, before the Bonos of the world took over. You know, it, right. this was this was kind of a like if you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, people are suffering, people are hungry. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to make a statement on this one. 
yeah, and that's kind of Keats' thing. It was usually more personal about what he had gone through or yeah. growing up in England after the war or something like that. But yeah, this is, and I guess it was based on, he saw a documentary on Cook County Hospital in Chicago uh, about how the, the standards were not that great there, you know, and the patient to doctor ratio was very poor and, you know, they didn't have great facilities and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a very up-tempo song. But yeah. then you listen to it, it's about suffering and being lonely and how people die in the hospitals without the help they need, right? And and, and again, like I said, are you trying to are you trying to br- raise awareness of that because you you live this lifestyle that is you you now understand how much better you have it than a lot of other people? Maybe so. Maybe so. And the, the lyrics are decent, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But to me, the music is not is not great on this one. It's it's very keyboard heavy. And I know yeah. they had Tim Gorman in the studio and I think on the tour to play a lot of that keyboard stuff and some of the stuff that Pete had programmed in on, on his synthesizers and stuff like that. I don't know. I, I don't really like the song that much. Maybe it's because it's, it's a downer subject, but I think it's because the music just isn't that great. Maybe you get high marks for trying to do the right thing and, mm-hmm. and we'll, you know, shine some light on something that's uh, that people need to know about that we need to fix. But I mean, musically, I don't think the song is that good. And if there's one knock against this record and, and this one, this track highlights that there's a lot of that, like real dated 80s keyboard sounds mm. like, you yeah. know, if I, if I didn't tell you anything about this and I just put this track on, I'd be like, what is this? 1982? Yeah, it's exactly 1982. Exactly, when it came that's out, exactly 1982. where it came from. Yeah. And but they did actually play this once when they played Chicago on that big 1982 farewell tour. They, they subbed something out and they played this one. Hey Chicago, you stink. Here's a song about your awful hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for buying a ticket. Right. <laughs> so then we move along to the title track, number four on the first side, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Now this has a lot of value to me. I mean, it was the third single off the album. It, it came out in February of 1983, backed with Dangerous, which was also a, an Ent Whistle uh, pen track, which you know that's gotta help Ox some, right? Okay, maybe you don't get that much royalties from the records, but if they put out a single that does okay and yours is the B-side, you get paid for that, buddy. You right. know? So that's, that's okay. gotta help out, right? Yeah. And it's basically about coupling things together, talk about how life is hard, you know, you know, and I can I can do some of the some of the couplings for you if you like here. Go but, for it. Uh, it's hard. It's very, 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 very hard. <laughs> it's so fucking hard. <laughs> any tough can fight, few can play. Any fool can fall, few can lay. Any man can claim, few can find. Any brain can hide, few can stand. It's basically talking about how difficult life is to always do the right thing like anyone can say you know amazing things but very few can mean them you mm-hmm. know that kind of stuff like it, it's hard to be a, it's it's easy to 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 make a kid but it's hard to be a father that kind of stuff right um everyone complains few can state anyone can stop few can wait but really eventually it kind of sounds like pete's whining <laughs> And now our great author, our great song master, who's taught us all these things over the years, it's kind of like, what are you whining about? Are you whining about getting old? Are you whining about how hard it is to write songs for you and the who and balance all that kind of stuff? Because we really don't want to hear that stuff, to be honest. It is hard to hear somebody who is rich and famous complain about, well, you don't know the hard times I've seen. Really? Come on. 
Right. But but it's interesting too because this one started off life, I think, during face dances as as popular, I think Correct. was the name of it. Yeah. So basically Pete Townsend's like your grandmother. He's never gonna he's not gonna throw anything away. Never throw it away. But you didn't like it then? Hold on a minute. Let me put a little salt on here, mix it around. Right. Do you like it now? We'll put Instead it out. Instead of popular, I'll change it to it's hard. Correct. And I'll rework the melody a little mm-hmm. bit. Okay, like it now? Great, let's do that. Well, it's not like anyone else is really coming up with that much. It's amazing to me that Roger Daltrey, who's such a fine singer, isn't much of a songwriter. Not even the lyrics. I understand you can't make music fine, but don't you have something you want to say? But but see, but that's tough because maybe, but maybe you feel like, you know, so you've got two guys in the band that can write songs. Obviously, one is more prolific than the other, but maybe you want to write songs. You just don't have the goods. Like, you know, you would bring it to them like, are you serious? Is this, mm-hmm. do you really want to do this? Or are you joking around? Like, I'm not, forget it. I'm not doing anything now. I don't know. I mean, it must be intimidating to be in the presence Probably of somebody so. who seems like, you know, he can just get up in the morning and be like, okay, boo, who are you? Okay. Boo, just write that. Here's what I came with today, boys. So I, 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 I don't know, but it is a little strange looking through the rest of the hard rock catalog that the singer is does not write any of the songs that's very strange it's strange you know and then because he uh pete is gonna you know sing a little bit about you know on this and they played it on that tour roger whipped out his eminence front guitar where he's playing a little bit of guitar in there it's very odd to see Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. i have seen that we'll talk about that here in a minute no right but you know it's uh it was derided because if you listen to it and you listen to the way it goes it's definitely got some of Bruce's Badlands in it. Okay, yeah. And so it's like, gee, Pete, you know, <laughs> Rolling Stone used to tell you you were the greatest. Now they're telling Bruce he's the greatest. So now you're listening to him to get your riffs and <laughs> and listen to it a few times. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely Badlands. Yeah, absolutely. And but this was the last great yeah. single. This is the last great Who single until they they came out with Endless Wire, right? I mean, right, because right? it was put out afterward. That's correct. Yeah, and and I have you know it, it's it's kind of an upbeat song for everything basically sucking in the <laughs> in the lyrics. Yeah, because life is hard, right? Yeah, very very hard. And they only played it on the It's Hard tour. I guess they they didn't think it was worthy of breaking out after that. Of course, you know when you're a nostalgia act, you generally don't play your last single. You play all right. your 60s and 70s singles right mm-hmm. still they mm-hmm. must have thought something of it because they named it i mean it's the name of the record right and i wonder too if if it's i don't know are, are you not to go too deep into this but are you trying to say like you know everything is hard even doing this record is hard you know you don't yeah. we, getting back together but but it's interesting too like he, when you do a solo record right mm-hmm. you're in charge everybody else is a paid is a hired hand they follow you, you correct but you also don't have anybody saying well let's not do that like right. you, you say here are the 10 songs we're playing aye aye captain you know just let me know when you need me to be in the studio exactly but you know it, and so it's interesting that even though he writes these songs the band still has the veto power to say mm, we're not doing that or i don't yeah. like that roger and ox can push back on him whereas mm-hmm. when he you know hires those guys no matter how good they are like can, can i make it better for you pete can, yeah. Can I, can I add something else for you, Pete? Tell me when you want more, Pete. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I, to me, it's if you take out the whininess and you take away the thinking, oh, it's hard to be a solo artist and in this band, it's hard to be married and out chasing tail all the time. You know, <laughs> it's hard to like girls and boys. That's what Rough Boys was about, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, 
okay, Pete, you know, quit your whining. You're in your thirties. You should have plenty of money. People have it worse. <laughs> Moving on yes. to track number five, Dangerous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by John Entwistle, which was the B-side of It's Hard. It's obviously another Entwistle composition and heavy on the bass, as you might expect. Correct. This is yeah. where I heard the bass the best, I feel like maybe okay. on the album. Certainly at the beginning, because there's just a lot of keyboards and chug guitar to complement his bass. Pete isn't doing much on this. He's kind of drowned out a little bit. You know, you don't hear Pete guitar really on this thing. No, you don't. And and I don't know what's, it was a keyboard at the beginning, but it almost sounds like an, uh, some kind of like squeeze box they were trying to go for. Yeah, but again, the bass is out in front. You know, this is an end whistle song. Uh, and then what is he saying? Fear is the key to your soul. Fear is the key. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it shows some of the darker parts of society. I, I, I still think it's a lot more positive than a lot of Pete's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it does sound a little bit dated today, some of that keyboard stuff, again, right. you'd, you'd say, I know when they, I know exactly when they recorded this, this is like 81 to 83 kind of area. Like, yep, that's exactly yeah. right. You know? So some of the lyrics are pretty good. Again, I give Ed Whistle credit. It would be hard to go toe to toe with Pete Townsend on lyrics. It's kind of why George Harrison, you know, didn't get a lot of stuff on records until he was older because trying to compete with Paul and John when they're right. two or three years older than you, it's like, eh, yeah, that's, that's tough. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got something, but it's not the quality that needs to go on the record. It's right? not yesterday. It, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's gotta be intimidating too. When you write the song by yourself, if you're Ant Wessel, and then you kind of bring it in and it's like, Ooh, how's this going to go? I don't know. And, and maybe at this time he doesn't care, but at, at, especially at the beginning, it had to be intimidating for him. Probably so. But then, I mean, you see Ox in interviews, He's a pretty chill and he seems like a confident guy. Not to mention, I mean, I think he was every bit the musician, if not more Ooh. than Pete Townsend. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the stuff he does in the bass is so incredible. And Pete even admits it. He's like, okay, we're, we're jamming along one night. He's like, I'm going to get him this time. I'm going to do something crazy. And because did all this crazy stuff and then without missing a beat here comes ox he's like wouldn't have done it the other way if he'd started that and i tried to repeat uh-uh you know that's not gonna happen you know and ox does play all those horns and stuff like mm-hmm. that you know he does sing on a couple of odd who tracks over the years so and whistle was a loss to the community and i'm he couldn't have been a big lead singer he wasn't gonna front a band like that you would think he would have had more compositions. I don't know. It, it, it's He's in an interesting spot in rock and roll history. A legend, an inimitable legend, uh-huh. but one who was also kind of stuck in a box. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it was, it, it, well, now we're in a different era too without Keith Moon, but, and we talked about this on Who's Next, but Jay Moore d- describes the Who as, you know, it's lead guitar, lead vocals, lead bass, and lead drums. I mean, he, that was Ant Whistle's thing is I don't I don't play the bass for somebody. Like I right. do my own thing. I, I I create my own space in the band. And he definitely, you're right. I, it's interesting that he never went on to do anything else uh, or, you know, work with anyone else or, you know, have another band or anything like that because he could do a lot or he was doing a lot on these records. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so being that this is his last with the band, I'm glad that he got three songs on there. It's just disappointing mm-hmm. that his bass is not out front as much as I would like. But that's just me. Hi, this is Carl Palmer and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf. Coming to song six and the last song on side one of the album or tape is Eminence Front. 
<laughs> and this is the last great original Who song, really. Honestly, it was the second single release released on Christmas Day, 1982. So it's 40th mm. anniversaries coming up as we're recording this here, Jackson. Interesting. But it was a, it was a, you know, it was a big hit on U.S. radio. It, it really is what helped propel the album, you know, to gold status and to get into top 20 and top 10 lists and things like that. The song did well. I mean, I remember it vividly, and they used to show it on MTV sometimes because you know it's a. It's an odd song. It, first of all, it's pretty long. It's over five minutes. Secondly, there's all this like guitar noodling and a lot of program keyboard to start it off. The vocals mm. don't come in until about two minutes into the song. That's very rare, especially in the early 80s. And, and that, that's one of those things I never thought of until we started. I started doing research for this record. Also, like the, there's a guitar solo at the beginning. Okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it's the, he, he, you're right. He's just kind of noodling along over the keyboards and then the rest of it comes in and then the vocal. So it is, yeah, it's not a very, the way it's put together is very odd and it's it odd is. that it was, it was that big of a hit because, you know, you usually, you want, you know, it comes in, you get riff, you get a little bit of the lyrics, you get the chorus, you get the solo, and then that's it. This is not put together that way. No, no. So you got the kind of program keyboard in which they're famous for on stuff like Baba O'Reilly and stuff like yeah. that. And then the riff. Mm, 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 mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's not real complicated. It's, it, yeah. it, it's, I mean, it's three notes in there. It's, it's not a whole lot to it. And yet it's incredibly catchy, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but then yes, of course, because Keith is singing about this and it's kind of a song about, I mean, I think it's a song about greed and cocaine and fame and stuff like that. Right. And Correct. Talking yeah. about, you know, shares crash, hopes are dashed. People forget it, you know, sunshine. Yeah. He's talking about, stockbrokers and celebrities and rich jerks and all that kind of thing. But if he, if Pete is singing, what's Roger going to do? Well, they hand him the eminence front Telecaster. Now mm-hmm. in the video, it's black, but I took my buddy, Tom, who, who we had on to talk about REM's document okay. last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had tickets to see the who they'd had to postpone because I think Roger was sick. So they came back later in the year. I'm like, I'm going to take Tom and, and we had pretty good seats. We're on the floor within the first 15 or 20 rows, something like that. And they brought out this kind of like, n- not even blonde. It, it was like a cream colored Telecaster kind of thing. And I said, you see that? That's the Eminence front guitar. Roger Daltrey's going to play that during Eminence front because it was just like the black one he played in the video. Mm. And sure enough, when they played Eminence front, that's exactly what he had on. And Tom's like, how did you know that? <laughs> I'm like, look, I just know <laughs> Roger doesn't need a guitar most of the time. <laughs> he's not a guitar player per se, but he's not going to just sit there swinging the microphone around while Pete's singing Eminence front, right? And he's not going to walk off the stage either because he's center stage. So they give him a, something he can play while Pete's doing his thing. So yeah, that's where it kind of comes from. If they hadn't made this album, I don't think you'd have ever seen Roger on the guitar, on the stage of the guitar. And that's a, that's a very, looking at the video, it's a very uncomfortable deal because now it's, so Pete is, what is he? Stage left, right? From their point of view. Yeah. To us, he's right. But yeah, for them, he's stage left. Yeah. But so then the camera's focusing on stage left and you've got, you know, You've got Daltrey doing. I don't mean is he even really playing. I don't know what he's doing yeah, is over it there. Plugged he's, in, yeah, <laughs> or or is it? Yeah, it's it's plugged in, but you just turn it. Down. Yeah, right. and so he's he's doing something there, but it, it's it's got to be weird for him because he is 
front and center the entire time. And, you know, Entwistle's doing his thing. Kenny Jones is doing his thing. What do, what do I do now? I kind of just dance around, like, you know, getting ready to sing the chorus. Yeah. And you could see the video. They're a band that aren't necessarily a band anymore. I mean, they start off the video. There's Kenny Jones. And he's there with like the crew and some of the right. managers and stuff like he's getting his drums all put together. Then Roger Daltrey pulls up in the limo and he hops out and he's got his hair all like frosted blonde and stuff like that. And he's hopping around. Hey guys, I'm here. Good to see you. Then comes a van, like a, like a van with some windows in it. And that's what Pete gets out of. Now you should note, you go back and watch Ox is coming out of that van too. Okay. Okay. But as soon as Pete comes out, the camera is trained on Pete. And then Ox is kind of off to the left in and out of the shot a little bit it's like with sunglasses on right yeah so it's like yes ox is part but you can see the star is here right pete is right. here and you can see him talking to kerbishly or maybe the manager or somebody like that you know walking up there then he gets up and he's singing his part and and roger's smiling hopping around with his you know little fender on like Dude, you're not playing anything. Come on, right? Man. It's you know this is a joke. Right? And, and I was trying to, I was trying to listen for that. I'm like, yeah, where is that second guitar part? I don't really hear it. No, maybe it's different live. No, okay. <laughs> no, it's not. You okay. know, and I think that was in, in at Maryland, maybe Largo, Maryland, where they're getting ready for the tour or whatever. But it's like, eh. yeah, not great. But I mean, look, it's still it was a big hit for them. It got up on the radio in America. It's been in movies. It was on a killer episode of Miami Vice. Correct. And which, uh, which will always trump the, I understand now it's in a car commercial, but if, if you were included in the Miami Vice legend or yes. you know, in the soundtrack, it will always be, always, be, always cool. be cool. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Episode three, season three, Kill, Kill Shot, Shot. Yeah, which premiered absolutely. October 10th, 1986, which is interesting that they waited that long to put it in the show because I think it's premiered in 84, but right, I mean, it's I the third that. season. Yeah, they wanted to make sure that it fit in. And it's actually kind of a cool scene. It's at night. They're on a, you know, they're on the speedboat, you know, trying to make it, you know, hey, you're late. Huh. I don't know. Two key deal doesn't make me on time. Right. <laughs> nice, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And even the uh the single, the um the sleeve on the single was like a 1930s Miami Art Deco house or uh-huh. hotel on there. So that's kind of another tie into that kind of Miami cocaine lifestyle that right. I think Keith uh, Pete was singing about here a little bit, but they still played it. I mean, when I saw them at Wembley and it took my daughter in 2019, they played them in its front. And I got to tell you, it was awesome. It sounded well, killer. You get, you figure too, it, it was a big hit and it is a chance for Daltrey to, to, uh, I mean, I'm sorry for Townsend to shine. This yeah. is it. This is my moment. This is when I get to be the front man. We are playing the song and 70 year old singers need a little bit of a break now and then. Well, that's uh, true too. You yeah. know, so he, Roger can, he doesn't have to sing that much except just come mm-hmm. up eminent front. Yeah. Eminent front. That's all I have to do. But you know, it's a long song. He goes, dress yourself to kill. And it's over. Like there's no fade out. There's no rolling yeah. down. It's like, <laughs> and that is the end of side one of it's hard. And I got to tell you, I mean, uh, and it was backed with one at a time, which is on the second side, which you'll hear about here. The second side of this album is not great to me. It really is not. And it starts out with I've Known No War, which is okay. You know, it's like, this is reflections of a kid growing up after World War II, had some more keys, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of start this off. It's a long one. It's the longest song on the record. You know, it's it's more than five and a half minutes. And uh, it feels like it, dude. I mean, it's, it, it should have been one and a half to two and a half minutes shorter. 
to be honest with you. <laughs> My it opinion. is a little bit of a. It is a little bit of a. I understand we've we've now flipped the record over, but it's a definitely a big change. It's a lot slower. He Daltrey is singing his. Uh, it, it, he's got more of the. He's got more of the signature vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, coming in on this one. I, I put. I had a thing too about how I, kind of at the end it's got that joined together vibe to that with that. A little bit. A little bit of a callback, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, this is about yeah about growing up in the in the after World War II, and yeah, it's kind of okay. Let's can we move on? Well, I don't know. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with singing about that. Obviously, it affected a whole generation or two of people, mm-hmm. and it's very different growing up in England post World War II than in the U.S. <laughs> that is true too. Post World War II, and I think I think we forget that too. You know, but post World War II in the United States was the greatest time ever. I mean, we just ever. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you talk about the, I think it was Joe Elliott talking about growing up in Sheffield, and there was no metal anywhere because all the metal had been taken, all the gates, all the railings, everything had been taken away to make bomb parts or machine guns or whatever and we're sitting there thinking yeah we're you know we're on top of the world now yeah no and it's very much a black and white society there's still rationing going on after the war kids growing up uh, and playing you know football uh, around destroyed buildings that was just the way it was you know and um you know uh, pete had been sent off to stay with you know relatives or whatever uh you know while in the country yeah you know and, yeah and, and bad things happened to him as they did to a lot of kids I... during that kind of thing so yeah but you know i mean look i mean when it does this slowdown it does some tinkling with the piano keys and there's some organ and then there's some strings and it comes back for like the emphatic reprise basically at the <laughs> end i'm like it's still it's still too much now what's interesting is rolling stone who's so often out of touch and missing the point. And, and they rail on great bands who do great things. Like they, they totally rail on Led Zeppelin and a lot of bands we like, like Iron Maiden and stuff like that. They're giving this five out of five. And the reviewer, Park Pewterbaugh, if that's his real name, was like, this is an amazing song. This is the best song they've done since Who's Next. And I think this is going to be their next anthem. I'm like, you are an idiot. You must have just been like, yeah, I love the who. Can I please review this album? He's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. He's like, this is the greatest who album in so long. And I'm like, no, it's really not, dude. Yeah, I don't know what he was smoking on this or, you know, what he had up is whatever. But this is not this is not great who. That's just me. And it's it it's an interesting change of pace, too, from the, you know, talking about the, the coked out Miami Right, celebrity parties too. Okay, well now we're gonna get now we're gonna get real, folks. We're yeah. gonna talk about the the war effort. Like, give you a little uh, taste of Roger Daltrey, yeah. uh, Roger, Roger Waters' life. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> Take it back here. You know, you feeling good? Okay, let's stop that right. Well, now. yeah. Well, we're about to put a, the kibosh on that. Yeah, it's enough of that. But then they go to one life's enough from the longest song on the record to the shortest song on the record, which is not even two and a half minutes long, which is at least what they could have cut out. <laughs> of I've No Known War to, to make it a better song, you know? Um, so there's, you know, there's synth intro, some piano, and has some nice arrangements to it. And I'm wondering, is he talking about mortality on this one? I'm not 100% sure. And you get that, like, you get the soft, high, daltry voice coming in, not the not the yelling at you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, that song about, yeah, wait, what are we talking about? Are we talking about... Finding love, making love, dying. Yeah, what, what's going on here? Yeah, and so is he is he saying, hey, I, I don't need a second life, you know, as a, maybe as a solo artist, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been one as a rock star is, is enough, you know. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure 
because but there's definitely a lot of looking back mm-hmm. i think maybe not lamenting or regretting just kind of looking back and you you gotten to this point in your life in your mid to late 30s that there's no such thing as a rock star in their mid to late 30s yet somehow you still are so should i still be going forward and making videos and making new records or should i be stepping back uh, because I'm not that kid anymore, you know? Yeah. Have it's, you, have you already, okay. So yeah. Have you already lived the life that you were supposed to? Right. Yeah. Right. But the thing is at 36 or 37, your life's pretty far from over. You know? Right. Most people are just hitting their stride at that point, you know, professionally, yeah. personally, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I know that's what McCartney said too. Like the, there were people that are like, Oh, you should just go away. He's like, yeah, I'm like 30. I'm not going to go. I still have stuff to do. I'm not going to go retire. What's wrong with you? And I mean, yeah, even though they, even though they were a little older than the Duran Durans of the time, Daltrey was still a really good looking dude. I mean, he gets out of that, he gets out of that limo with his frosted, uh, frosted hair and the jean uh, ensemble that he was wearing. Yeah. He's a pretty cool looking dude. Yeah, and he's in great shape. I mean, yeah, sings without a shirt off throughout that tour. You know, he never has sleeves on. He's he's still in great shape in his seventies. So, and he and he had been doing a lot of acting. You know, that that was kind mm-hmm. of his next thing, maybe, uh, is to be more of an actor to do soundtrack stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're all kind of looking at this is the end of the Who. This is the end of an era, and who am I? Right. Not who are you? No, no, they don't care who I am. They <laughs> who they were. <laughs> Anyway, all right, song number three on the second side, song number nine overall, One at a Time. This is the third Entwistle tune, and it's mm-hmm. got all sorts of John horns at the start of this thing, right? This this is my, I, I like this song a lot, the more that I listen to it, because it is, it's John Entwistle, I think, just saying, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing right now. Mm-hmm. He plays the horns, he plays the bass, the, the, you listen to what he's, what's being said there. If you want her, you can keep her, I can only handle one at a time. Right. One at a time. <laughs> Correct. And this is Correct. about girls in general. Is this about specific girls? Who cares? Right. You know, yeah. it's fast paced. It fits mm-hmm. in with the who. And it's got a bit of that old bash, right? With lead everything going on. Correct. And so you've already you've you've already had, you know, you've talked about war. Now you've talked about, you know, uh, reflecting on your life. And now it's like, yeah, you know what? It's it's, it's about like you said, it's about chasing girls. It's about being in love with it, this is more of the bombastic who, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm not going to tell you what we do, but you know what happens. You know what we're Come up to. Yeah. 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 I can chase her, but if you really want to go for it, I got yeah, another one I, waiting right over here. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. There's a lot. The, the inventory is, is quite large these days. Yeah. Even, even at this point in time, I can only imagine, I can only imagine what that tour was like. Only imagine, uh, you know, and, but it's again, it's under three minutes. This is a very short right. song, but they squeeze a lot of good stuff in here. I, I too like this one. You know, I, I come into it thinking, all right, I'm going to love the Pete ones and the Entwistle ones are going to be a bit of a ride. No, no, this, this one's actually pretty, <laughs> pretty good. And considering they use it as a B side and maybe more than once as a B side, I, I, I'm sure they didn't play it, but pretty good, pretty good song, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, why did I fall for that? Okay, well, there's some classic. The start. This is number song number ten, number four on the side. Starts with a classic riff and Roger doing some singing. Pete's in the background doing some vocals. A little spare guitar. Is this a political song? Is this you know lamenting the the fall of the UK and you know the rise of Thatcherism and realize that the UK is is not what it once was. It, it could be because they keep going back to that. You know, why did I fall for that? You know, did, did you, yeah. Did you vote for the wrong person? 
it sounds to me like it's it's kind of like a 50s throwback song with the picking at the beginning Oh, sure. uh, to, to me, this is the track that set the drums sound the most like Keith Moon because he's back there bashing away on it. And then the, the, the multi-part harmony, I think, sounded pretty good. I think it might all be Pete, but it sounds like there's more. They sound like they tracked him a couple of times. So it sounds like more than one person. I, I like the way that that sounded. There's still some good production value on, yeah. on this, but, you know, it'll, you know, four minutes to midnight on a sunny day. Maybe if we smile, the clock will fade away. We've never been taught to fight or face up to facts. We simply believe we'd remain intact. But nobody knows why we fell so flat, you know, and rash promises sincerely made by people believe that we are being saved. Yeah, they that made, definitely that that's, definitely that's sounds political. like a, yeah, correct. You know, correct. They made us all believe that we were acting white, but the truth is we've forgotten how we used to fight, you know, and this is, and the empire's crumbling, you know, it, yeah. it used to control all these territories. They're all independent now. They may be under the Commonwealth, but you, you have the queen's face on the money in Canada, but you don't rule Canada, you know, I mean, it, or, or India or South Africa or really any of these places anymore. And now right. they don't even rule their own island, really. I mean, Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, which isn't their own island, that's someone else's island, but they have their own devolved governments, you know, so... Yeah, you ruled the whole world in 1700. Now, do, what do you rule? You know, you've got people, you know, uh, squatting in flats. You've got huge unemployment. You know, it's, uh, the UK and the US were kind of facing a lot of the same problems at the end of the 70s and beginning of the 80s. Mm -hmm. and, and the same now, to be honest with you. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. And do, and do they package it? Is it is this a longing for a different time? And that's why you kind of made it sound like a song from the 50s or put 50s kind of tones in it. That's interesting. That's interesting. But I also wonder with the, you know, uh, be, having Boris Johnson kicked out and then all the stuff with Donald Trump, is it kind of happening again? Like, <laughs> why did I fall for that? <laughs> Yeah, the same. Yeah, the same things. You're right. The same things keep happening over and over and over again. If you read, if you go back and read the, I'm sure if you read the newspapers from 1982, right now you would say, "Hey, wait a minute, that's still going on today." Exactly. Or it's happening yeah. again. You know, like right. it, it goes right. up and it bubbles under, but it's always yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's move on to song number eleven or five on the second side, which is "A Man Is a Man." This is obviously about Pete and his masculinity, is it not? That's what it sounds like to me. That's and that's that's a weird, weird situation for him to be in. You know, mm -hmm. you're in this. You're you're a rock god. You are you know in a giant band, and that means chicks all over the place. Mm -hmm. But maybe maybe there's something else going on. But how can you say that? You you definitely couldn't say. I mean, you could barely say that in the '80s. Well, I mean, he did kind of say it on Rough Boys two years kind, earlier, right? Kind of, right. But even even that was like, because I remember that, that, not that at that specific time, but like around, you know, like the mid 80s where it was like, is is he, is he gay? Is he, mm -hmm. could he can't possibly be gay because he's this giant yeah. rock star. He towns are from the who, you know? Correct, yeah. And he's and married, so, so he's not all the way gay. Right. It, so what, you know, what's going on here? And and to live that, yeah, it, it, what is it? What does it mean to be a man? And it's interesting when they, again, something people are still <laughs> struggling with today. No, you're right. Uh, and look, I, I mean, it's it's way ahead of its time, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. It's yeah. way ahead of its time. It was probably a head scratcher for listeners back in 1982. It really was, even though they might have been seeing 
Boy George of Culture Club on MTV after they heard this. It still was, you know, it, what, what does it mean to be a man and to be vulnerable and stuff like that? Stuff that gets a lot of talk now. And obviously sexuality and bisexuality and all things across the spectrum are talked about all the time. They're very hot topics. They're very hot political topics. And, and people are now allowed to be out and to be more of who they genuinely are. But back mm. then, not so much. And right. so this is pretty bold statement, I feel like, on the part of Pete Townsend. Yeah, e- even then it was, you know, if you were a man, you were you were probably the the main breadwinner in the house. Like, you sure. know, you went out, you worked all day, you know, you came home, the, the dinner was cooked for you. You really didn't talk about much. You know, how was your day? Fine. I'm going to read the paper and go to bed. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Someone breaks mm-hmm. in, I'll shoot him or I'll Correct. wrestle him down, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, that's what I'm here for. Our roles are very clearly defined, you know. Correct. And, and, you know, maybe there, maybe you have other thoughts there. Maybe you think to yourself, you know what, maybe I just want a day to myself. Yeah. Right. And it's just so weird to think the hyper masculine and sexually charged eighties that came after this, you know, right. like the hair metal pants and all the, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, it's hypersexualized stuff. And, you know, for some of the women too, it's, it's, I don't know. I give him a lot of credit for, for releasing this song, for writing mm-hmm. this song and releasing it all at this time. Obviously this isn't going to be for anyone, for everyone. You're going to get backlash on something like this. And to go back and find this one is something ahead of its time uh, for a more modern time. Like we're in now it fits in really well. Right. I, I wonder too when when this was brought up. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? Oh, right. you know, we're just gonna sing it. Mm, I don't know about this. But you know, you put it on the backside. Well, yeah, we'll put it as, as the you know second to last track. No way over here right. anyway. No one. Yeah, we'll we'll make it a B side. You know. No yeah. <laughs> no one will make it that far. No, no one. No one's, Yeah. No one's gonna hear this. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. I'll be listening to Eminence Front and then the correct and yeah. Then yeah. The, who are you? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go back to the beginning of the first side. Yeah, you know, don't don't worry about that shit, man. You talk about crazy affairs, talk about your life as though it mattered because you block, you get attention because you block the stairs, you know, stuff like this. But affairs is something he's talking about. And, you know, if he's married to a woman, well, yeah, he's having affairs with girls and maybe some boys too. Uh, when mm-hmm. a man is a man, doesn't act a plan, you have to perform like John Wayne in some B feature flick. He's a man we can offer his hand and not uh, not afraid of appearing insane if he can't break a brick. So you don't have to be Mr. Tough Guy all the time. You know, you uh-huh. don't have to play that role and still be a man. But there's a lot of lyrics in this. I mean, look, it's a pretty good song. So, I mean, to me, this is the one that, you know, you find one on the album that either you don't remember or you didn't know, mm-hmm. or now it hits you with different meaning. I'm like, this is actually pretty, pretty good. And it's, you know, it's it's always going to be later in the album because of its content, but it's actually a fairly good song. Maybe and, and more I, of a Pete solo song than a Who song, though. Okay, but but you say that, but I did like. I've got a note here about how I liked how they were two parting the harmonies. Mm-hmm. That sounded that sounded pretty good. And you're not doing that on your solo record. That's true. That's no. That's a good point. So maybe I was wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had an idea, but maybe it was a bad one. I don't know. And you're a jerk. Yeah. And there we go. <laughs> that's it. Wrap it up with "Cry If You Want." Again, not a not a, not a great one. And it starts with a marching beat. Yeah, on the drum and the bass, right? So you got Kenny and and Ox there starting it off there. It's a little bit of a highlight for Ent Whistle on there. It's a bit of a rocker and crash start, but uh, you know they they only played this. No, they played this every night of the tour except for once. So I wonder if this is the one 
they subbed oh maybe for cooks county when they played chicago that one night huh might have Prob- been probably yeah this is one of those ones where like you could tell like it, 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 and i if i just played this track for you where do you think this comes in the end this is the last song this is the last <laughs> song on the record you can just tell it's we're kind of we're kind of just uh crawling across the finish line now i mean it's not horrible but again it seems like he's reflecting on his life Mm-hmm. You know, looking for another chapter, but still stuck in this first life as a rock god. Uh, and it's like, how do I make this transition? Do I have to transition? Why do I have to transition? You know, kind of thing. And then it fades out with some odd guitar noodling yeah. from, from Pete. But it's, you know, it fades out with kind of more of a whimper than I would like. Right. And then seeing that's the end of the record. Yeah, I think it's like, I think it doesn't come until like the 405 mark where he's actually soloing and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well that's, maybe we could have had that a little earlier. Right. You know? And so, and then that's it. That's the last two record basically ever. Yes. Endless wire came out 24, 25 years later, obviously yeah. without John Entwistle and it was a double album. So it had a lot of extra stuff on it. Again, they're not, they're 2019. I think it's 2019 who album I thought was great, but it was a long time coming, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Pete had lived and learned a lot. By then, it's interesting that Daltrey actually liked Cry If You Want. So they played it on that 82 tour. When they did the 2006 Endless Wire things, like, we got to bring that back. That's a good song. We got to play that. And it didn't last long. Like, it, it, huh. it lasted for a little while. Like, no, we, you know, we got other songs. Yeah. Maybe. We've got other deep cuts. You know, we've got other stuff we can do. So, so how do you, how do you, gauge that is it just crowd reaction like no one's digging this maybe and it's also i mean is it great to play are you digging it is this like oh yeah i'm so glad is this bringing back memories of 82 or is it bringing back like god it wasn't even that great then and we had odds <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah. but but talking about that i mean where in the who's catalog do you put this one because I think most people would put this at the very bottom or near it. And there's some other Who albums that I like a lot more, obviously. But I don't know. Here on re-examining it, it's probably just south of the middle. I mean, they really mm-hmm. only made 12 or so albums. Maybe you call it 13. And this was 11. This, I think I think this album does not get enough credit. And I think I think this was probably dismissed a lot because of the Keith Moon thing. And you right. can tell. I mean, a- again, if you didn't know anything about this and you listened to it, you would say that something is off on this. Right. Nothing. No. Nothing against Kenny Jones, but it's just it's just not a typical Who record. So I think a lot of people dismiss it. But if you listen to it, it's a lot deeper than you think too. Yeah. And I think the other problem was that, uh, or the other issue was the big song was Eminence Front, right? Right. Right. So that's about, you know, oh, it's about being a rock star. You know, okay, we get it. We understand. And no Roger Daltrey on the vocals. I mean, I like Pete singing the song. I do. But Mm -hmm. the Who are Roger Daltrey belting out those songs. Correct. But you're you're missing some of these other ones that that kind of get into more heavy duty life things, mm-hmm. life subjects. So I think it's a better record than it gets credit for. I, I don't think it's the best one they ever put out. I'll never say that, right. but I would I wouldn't put it at the bottom either. No, I'd probably reserve that for for Endless Wire, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think I'd be alone in that necessarily. Who by numbers wasn't great. I, I don't know. I mean. It, I'm not going to give you a ranking of one to 13 or whatever. Yeah. My guess is it's probably somewhere in the seven, eight, nine range for me, you know, better than some, probably closer to like nine. You know, I, I love the eminence front, but some of the keyboard stuff, it, it's very dated to me. 
Right. It, it really yeah. is. But the thing is, some of the lyrics and some of what they're reflecting on, maybe just because in, in 1982, when we were nine, we wouldn't have gotten any of this stuff anyway. We didn't really know right. what Eminence Front was. We're just singing along. <laughs> Eminence yeah. Front. Bum, 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 it's good on. Yeah. 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 Nice little riff there. Now I can understand this stuff. And some of the stuff he's singing about makes more sense. And when you're reflecting on who am I, what am I supposed to be? I don't know. I can relate to that. I went to business school. I made people a lot of money in my 20s and 30s and 40s. And then suddenly I'm raising my kid and I'm running a podcast. <laughs> Aren't I still supposed to be in the office? Aren't I still supposed to be wearing right. a suit every day? Right. Uh, it's okay to reinvent yourself. It's okay to kind of say, hey, this is not what I planned when I was a teenager. But is it okay? That's kind of stuff we all have to figure out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And de definitely a lot more going on here than I realized. Definitely. Because I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this record before this. Right. I don't know. I, I may have never made it all the way to the end. I don't know. But there's there's a lot more going on here than it gets credit for. It's it's more complex. Yeah, more complex than, than you would look at from just listening to the singles. If you just listen to the two big singles, you're missing a lot on this one. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's yeah. what we were raised on was those Correct. big singles. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's the end of the who. Well, yeah. listen to the rest of it. There had a lot going on. And look at the background of what was going on with the band, with Pete as a solo artist, with music at the time. And I think if you give it a listen through those lenses, uh, then it'll mean a little bit more to you. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too is... It was it was an interesting time to be a rock star also because you know in the 60s it was all about oh you got to fight the man and you know mm -hmm. he, he, this is my generation and what's going on here and now it's like man I got a lot of money and I got right. a lot of fame and I get to do some pretty cool stuff and is is that okay is it okay to be a rock star is it okay to be to enjoy the fame and money that I've accumulated now I don't know I mean ooh. I feel, I feel real good. I have a good time, but I kind of feel bad looking at the at the world around me. So interesting time to be those guys. Very interesting. Okay, well, that wraps our episode on The Who's It's Hard, 1982. Last album by The Who, really. I mean, some people might say, Who Are You was their last album in 78 because that was Keith Moon's last album. Of course, they did, as we talked about on the show, record The Endless Wire in 2006 and the brilliant The Who album in 2019. But for all intents and purposes, this was the final Who album. They'd reached their mid to late 30s. They knew it was a young man's game. They'd kind of been relying on past works through the films of Tommy and Quadrophenia and the kids are all right for a long time at that point. So... Pete had a solo career starting to take off. And there was no such thing as a 40-year-old rock star. There just wasn't. So they figured, well, we have to go do something else. And that's what they did. Although they would eventually get back together in 89 and then later in the 90s. And for the most part, have been some kind of entity ever since. This was the, the farewell for The Who uh, on the new recording side. And Eminence Front was a big hit for them. And it's still something they do today. It still gets a great crowd reaction and still as poignant as ever about people being false or fake or worrying about all the wrong kinds of things. And I got to admit, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And some of the songs stand up better than I thought. Some of it sounds a little dated with the way they use the keyboards. But still, Pete Townsend and John Whistle are, are great songwriters and deserve a lot of credit. And this may not get the press that Tommy or Who's Next or Quadrophenia or The Kids Are All Right or any of the greatest hits albums gets, but I think this is a quality 
album, especially when you see it's made in the midst of Pete making a couple of solo albums that had some really great songs on it. So as usual, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. Please email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can tweet or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple, iTunes, Spotify. Good Pods is very good to us. These put us in the top 10 lists a couple more times this week, and we really appreciate that. And if you're thinking about it, hey, look, give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock fans like you. And if we get wind of it, send it to us. We might just read it on the show because we really appreciate the feedback. We're trying to make the show better, trying to improve the sound quality, trying to get better guests, trying to get better quality show on here for you. And I think you'll see that in the coming weeks. Of course, we thank Pantheon Pods, making a great community for us. We thank our sponsors, rarevinyl.com, where if you use code podcast, you can save 10% off all of your purchases. Now, next week, we're going to do another album celebrating its 40th anniversary, one that was pretty important to me and Jackson, but for different reasons 40 years ago. Not going to tell you exactly who it is. You're going to have to tune in for that, but it will be a classic rock artist that we've spoken about on this show before, maybe from a different band. Uh, but at any rate, we think you'll like the album and the review we do next week. So tune in for that. And until next time, you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.